up, how's everybody doing this morning? You guys good? It is <clears throat> so good to see you uh, this morning. We are in the, the fourth week of our series called Hope Where You Are. And, uh, and in this series, Mike has been challenging us with a, a series of questions to work through. Questions like this, God, what could you accomplish in my life? If my priorities were lined up with your priorities, God, what could you do in my life if my values were lined up with, with your values? God, how could you use me to impact or to reach the life of, of, of someone else? And, and these are the things that we've been working through in this series as we're talking about what it means to be hope uh, where we are. Mike has taught us that God is looking for men and women and students who understand that God's definition of greatness is different than, than our culture's definition of greatness, right? Different than our society's definition of greatness. Our, our culture, our society defines greatness based on, on the outsides, doesn't it? it based on, on how we look, based on, on our talents or our abilities, what we bring to the table. But that's not how God measures it. That's, that's not how God's economy works. God is saying, you know what? What matters more to me is, is actually what happens on the, on the inside. For me, what's more important is your heart. It's your character. It's your integrity. It's those things. And that's why this series is, is so important because in this, we have a chance to, to talk about the, the fact that the, the greatest thrill that we will ever understand and, and experience in our lives is when we allow God to use us to impact the life of someone else. And so this weekend, we're gonna talk about the, the next step in that. And we're gonna talk about what it means and, and what it looks like to have a ridiculous commitment to God and to his ways and what that, what that relationship looks like. And I know that may sound scary, right? Even just the, the concept of that, but we all make ridiculous commitments all the time. In fact, I wanna tell you about um, the ridiculous commitment that I made to my, uh, to my wife, Laura. Uh, Laura and I, uh, we met at the beginning of, of high school. I like to say that I waited for her. She likes to say that it, it took four years before she noticed me, but it's like six of one, half dozen of the other, right? I mean, it's pretty much the, the, the same thing. And so um, we started dating at the end of high school, of the end of high school for her, I, I kind of went back and did an extended plan. I, I want to get my money's worth out of high school. And uh, we had a, a really good hockey team. And I discovered that a 20-year-old is a lot better than a 15-year-old that I was playing against. And so that worked to my advantage as well. And so I, I kind of hung out a little while longer. And one day, right, one day there was this thing that happened that kind of that, that changed everything in our relationship. It was spring break of our senior year. And there were, there were six of us that decided that we were going to drive down to Toronto and outside of City Hall, they would always, they, they would flood it. They would, they would make ice, right? A sheet of ice, an outdoor ice rink. And so you could go skating. And we, so we decided, let's drive to Toronto. Let's go skating and watch the sunrise over the city. And so three of us guys, we got up at like four in the morning and we drove over to where the girls were staying and we picked up the girls and we, we drove to Toronto and it was, it was fantastic. We, we skated, we watched the sun come up. I, I had played hockey all of my life, so I, I don't wanna brag, but I'm pretty sure I impressed her with my sweet skills. Um, and so then on the ride home, right, something happened and I'm in the back seat and I'm sitting next to Laura and, and, and partway home, she, she kind of puts her head on my shoulder and, and she falls asleep. Or, yeah, you, oh, right, that's so, it's so sweet. What I find out later, she confesses, is that she was faking the whole time. She was into me, right? And so this is cool. And so now what I also discovered though in this moment was that my friend James, who was driving the car, was also into Laura. And, and I discovered that because 
because he glared at me in the rearview mirror the entire <laughs> trip home, which was super awkward and created like the first decision that we had to make in our relationship between my friend and this girl. And he wasn't that good of a friend anyways. And so it really wasn't, wasn't too hard of a, of a decision. And so, so we started dating right at the beginning of, of summer in our senior year, and, and we fell in love quickly. I remember one day we were, uh, we were hanging out at the beach, and, and, and you know, it's just so cool, right? The, the couples that make that decision to say, we're going to wait and have our very first kiss on our, on our wedding day, right? We're going to stand up there on our wedding day, and we're going to exchange vows and exchange rings, and the pastor is going to look at us and say, you may now kiss your bride, and for the very first time, right, that, that we will, will embrace and, and, and have that kiss. I mean, that is so cool. That wasn't us. Um, we totally made out at the beach, right? We totally made out, and, and that was awesome. My 14-year-old son's in this service right now, and I'm sure he's like under his chair. That's, a, that's fantastic, right? And so, so that's kind of where this relationship was going. Now, there was one major complication, and it was this. Laura had been accepted to a Bible college in England, like castles and crumpets and talk funnier than even I do England, right? And so, so she was going to be gone for a year. We were three months into this like relationship that was pretty, this is a real deal, right? And so all of a sudden we're in this place. Now I've thought about it and I thought, I've already waited four years for her. What's one more year, right? I can wait a, a fifth year and, and I will never, I'll never forget the night, right? It is just, it is this vivid, vivid memory for me. It was, it was in August, and uh, it was warm outside. The moon was full in the sky. The snow had finally melted, and, uh, and I was standing in, in Laura's driveway, right? And, and I remember looking at her and, and with the moonlight catching her face and looking into her beautiful brown eyes, and, and I just started to talk to her about how much she meant to me. I went into all of the strengths of our relationship. I told her how much I loved her and that I was committed to her. In fact, I think this is what I said. I said, bae or, or boo. It was one or the other. I'm pretty much the first one to use those terms. Yeah. And so I, I think it was, I said, boo. <laughs> I kept it together then, right? Boo, when, when you come back, I'll be here waiting for you. It, it was definitely boo because that rhymes and I had a strong game in high school. And uh, Ladies, feel free to be like, oh, at, the, at any moment, because this is good. Guys, if you're not taking notes, you're missing like relationship gold right here. I'm practically like the bachelor, right? Like this is, this is solid stuff. And so, so you're wondering, well, how, how did she respond to that, Donnie? Well, th there's, there's kind of Laura has a different version of how that night went th than I do. So I'll tell you the, the truth, right? Because uh, that's what I know. Um, hers is wrong, right? And so it was this, right? I, I told her this. I said, Laura, I will be here. I will wait for you for that year. And I will be here when you come back. And she ran into my arms. Oh, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Um, with, with tears streaming down her cheeks, she, she looked at me and, and professed her undying love. No, that didn't happen either. I think the exact quote was, I think we should take a break. I don't know who I'm going to meet over there. <laughs> she came in like a wrecking ball, right? I'm like, you're welcome, Miley. It's right there for you. She ripped my heart out, threw it in her driveway, backed over it with her car. Feel free to mildly boo her if you want, because that feels right to me in this moment. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. <laughs> but I wasn't going to give up. 
I was ridiculously committed to this woman, and so I sat in the cafeteria for my fifth year of high school every day, alone and brokenhearted, and I wrote her letters, and I called her every weekend, long distance from a phone that was attached to a wall. Attached to a wall, kids. You don't even know how committed that is, right? And, and I, I prayed for her, and I waited for her. It helped that no one else wanted to date me during that year too, and so that, that helped. But it really didn't make sense because I looked like this in high school. And I know why you're laughing. It was just costume day. I didn't normally dress like that. It was, a, I get it, I get it. Okay, so maybe the truth is that Laura actually maybe made the ridiculous commitment in actually, uh, in actually marrying me, right? But, but we can relate, right? We can relate to this. Every single one of us, we have things that we are ridiculously committed to. For many of us, it's our football team, right? And, and so we're gonna go home today and we're gonna turn on the game and we're gonna watch it. And for those of you, I, I wanted to make a Panther joke here, but the, the way they've been playing is kind of joke in and of itself. And so I didn't really even feel I needed to say anything at that point, but... Uh, Right? For some of us, for some of us, we're ridiculously committed to our stuff, to our, our cars or to our boats or to our, our homes or, or something, right? For many of us, we're, we're ridiculously committed to a, to a show, right? I've got to watch it. I've got to watch it before anybody else talks about it. I record it. I DVR it. Nobody's allowed in the room. It's just me and the... For some of us, we're, we're ridiculously committed to a, a band, or a celebrity, and, and I know everything about the Kardashians and, and whatever is going on in their lives. For some of us, it's, it's our bank account. For many of us, we're ridiculously committed to our kids. And, and that might not sound bad. You're like, oh, Donnie, that, that's probably a good thing. Yeah, but sometimes we know that we can kind of take it a little too far, right? All of a sudden, we're kind of forcing and directing and pushing our kids in a direction because we want to we wanna kind of live through them. It makes us feel better about ourselves when they do certain things. Some of us are ridiculously committed to our grades or to our career or to our status or fill in the blank. We are all ridiculously committed to something, right? We all have that thing in our lives that, that takes up our time. It, it gets the majority of our thoughts and our, our, our energies. It, 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 it gets a, a lot of our resources in life. It's a priority to us and we are committed to it. Let me ask you a question. What would it look like in your life if you chose to focus on what God has planned for you, what if you chose to focus all of your priority, all of your time, your energy, what if you made the greatest commitment, the greatest priority in your life, the thing that God wants to accomplish through you, the person that God wants to reach through you, the impact that God wants to make in our community or in the life of someone else through you, the thing that you and you alone can do because God created you for that. Today, we're gonna to take a look at a story of a guy that was uh, pretty ridiculously committed to God and what that looks like um, in his life and then in our lives. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19, it's uh, page 634 of my Bible. Um, I, don't, I don't know if that helps you, but uh, we'll put it on the side screens or you can download the app and you can follow along there. Um, while you're turning to 1 Kings 19, let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, there was this guy named Elijah with, with a J, Elijah, right? And, and Elijah, he was one of the greatest prophets that ever, that ever lived, probably the greatest prophet. And in the Old Testament, he was bold, he was daring, he was full of faith. In fact, the Bible talks about the fact that, that God performed 14 miracles 
through Elijah. Can you imagine like 14 different times where God just did ridiculous things, did crazy things in his life? In fact, there was this one time, and you may be familiar with the story. It was Elijah versus 450 prophets of, of, of a god Baal, right, of this false god. And so it was Elijah, it was one on 450, and Elijah defeated all of them, right? God just did amazing things. In fact, the Bible tells us that Elijah didn't die. God sent down a fiery chariot and he took him up in a, in a whirlwind, right? I mean, how cool is this guy, right? It's such a great read to read about the life of Elijah. But that's not who we're gonna talk about today. We're actually gonna talk about a guy named Elisha, S-H-A, right? Elisha. Now, Elisha wanted to be just like Elijah. In fact, he had, he had the, the same ridiculous faith. He was very bold. He was very daring. The problem was for Elisha is that he was just ordinary. He didn't come from, he wasn't the son of a priest. He, he wasn't, his family line weren't a bunch of monks. He didn't have on the outward side that he just was like some kind of spiritual giant. There was nothing nothing special about Elisha. In fact, he was just a, an ordinary guy that lived at home and he worked on the family farm. That's what he did all of his life until one day God called him to do something absolutely incredible. And so God told Elijah to mentor Elisha. And, and, and so Elisha comes up under him and it wasn't some kind of like, like fantastic mentorship program and, and all kinds of, uh, of benefits that came from that. In fact, it says that Elisha served Elijah for 10 years in the role of a servant, but eventually, eventually God said, it's your turn, Elisha. And Elisha has this incredible, incredibly bold request that he asks of God. And he says, God, I want a I wanna double portion of the anointing that you gave to Elijah. The things that you did in Elijah's life, I want, I want to experience you twice the amount, twice the level. And as I've been prepping this and, and, and kind of reading over this, this passage and praying about it over the past couple of weeks, God's just been stirring this question in my heart of, Donnie, how, how bold are you? What are the things that you're asking me for? Do you believe in me in the same way that Elisha believed in me? Because what we're gonna see is that God, God gave it to him. And Elisha actually went on to perform more recorded miracles in the Bible than anyone with the exception of, of Jesus. In fact, he performed 28 miracles, exactly twice as many as his mentor. And the, the context of this, just so, so we're aware, is that it's 9th century BC in a time when Israel is divided, the nation is divided, there's unrest around them, there's great tension in the land. And many of the people were worshiping this false god, Baal, and so God raises up this ordinary guy to do something absolutely extraordinary. First Kings 19, beginning at verse 19, it says this. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Now let me just stop there for a second. So we see Elisha is a farmer. Right, He's been doing the same job over and over and over again, day after day after day, probably since he was a teenager. This is his life. He's working at the parents' farm, and then he's driving the 12th pair of oxen, which actually shows us that this is probably a very wealthy family to have 12 pairs of oxen in the field. Uh, Stephen Furtick wrote a, a book called Greater about the life of Elisha. And in it, he, he, he brought up something that, that I had never thought about in all of the times that I've, I've read about his life and read these stories. And it's this, the, can you imagine the monotony of what that life would have been like? That every single day, day after day after day, you are just plowing behind a pair, a yoke of, of oxen. Put yourself there, right? Imagine, imagine the smells. 
Now, some of you need to filter yourself right now, right? But imagine, imagine an oxen residue, right? That's just, that's what you're smelling all day, every day. There is no car air freshener that's strong enough. There's no Febreze that's gonna get that out of your clothes, right? Just all day, every day, you're walking behind a, a pair of oxen smelling that, right? Imagine what it looked like. Imagine your view. This is your office window, the, the thing that you're staring at every single day, right? Oxen rears, oxen booty in front of you. That, that's it, all, all day, every day. And if you can't imagine that, maybe it would look something like this. That's it, right? That's what you're walking behind. Now, if you were really rich, maybe it looks something like this. Yeah, you could enclose them if you had a lot of money, right? But, but something like this, this is, this is Elisha's view every single day of his life. Right? And, and, and just day in and day out, day in and day out, just the monotony of that, of a life that was not spectacular, a life that was ordinary, a life that probably at times felt like it wasn't going anywhere. For many of us, we can, we can relate to that. In fact, you're like, I, I call that Monday, Donnie. That's, a, that's what it looks like. Right? I go to the same job. I work with the same people. I feel like I work with a bunch of oxen associates every single day of my life, right? For some of us, you're in sales. And you know that at the beginning of every month or the beginning of every period, right, a quarterly period, whatever it is, that you have a quota of things that you have to reach. And so you work over that period of time and you reach your quota and then it just starts all over again right? Same thing, month after month, quarter after quarter. For some of us, we're, we're students. And as students, you know that life can kind of get a little routine. Yeah, I study, and then I take tests, and then I work at a lousy job just so I can have some money to pay for some of the bills. And then I study some more, and I take more tests, and then I take more shifts at that, at that lousy job. And it just feels like it's, it's oxen rears all, all the time. For many of us as parents, right, this is what we see all day long. Diapers, Laundry, dishes, diapers, laundry, dishes, and it repeats over and over again. And then it's so easy to lose your passion for things. It's so easy to stop dreaming about what life could be like. It's so easy to quit imagining, God, could you use me in some way? And life just feels like it's, it's oxen rears all, all day long. See, this is where Elisha was. But, but I, I love this, and I want you to notice this, that he was being faithful with the task at hand. And I truly believe, I truly believe that God loves to reward those who are faithful with the little things. In fact, the Bible talks about that, that if you're faithful with the little things, that it, it proves to God that he can trust you with, with much more in your life. And so here's a, Elisha, not his favorite thing to do, I imagine that it's, it's incredibly draining physically and emotionally to do this day after day after day, but he remained faithful. And in the middle of his daily routine, where, where maybe his dreams were, were feeling shattered, where he was probably discouraged, maybe he was losing hope, God sent something new in to take him from where he was to a place of impact unlike many others. Verse 19, part B, it says this, Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. What does that mean? Right, here's, here's Elijah. He walks up to Elisha and he, he puts his, his cloak on him, which would have been a, an animal skin or a fur. It was kind of like, it was, it was his blanket. It was his, his snuggie, his, his covering, right? And so he, he takes it and he puts it on Elisha. And basically what he says in doing that is, is a very symbolic thing. He says, Elisha, that which covered me now covers you. 
That which I was under, now you are under. I will be your mentor. You will be my student. And as God has been working through me, now God is going to begin to work through you. And so he puts this covering on him and he puts God's blessing on Elisha. Now there's two principles of, of, of commitment in, in this story if you're taking notes. And, and, and the first is this, because what we see is that God's gonna call Elisha to follow, right? But, but he doesn't know the details. Here's the first one, it's this. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. See, there's all kinds of times in our lives where, where we don't have to understand fully. You don't have to have all of the details. You don't have to know what's gonna happen in five years or 10 years or 15 years to be able to obey immediately, to do something now, to begin moving in a direction and trusting that God is gonna guide you as you go. See, look at what happens in verse 20, right? Here's, here's Elijah, he puts the cloak on him and what does Elisha do? It says that he left his oxen. And then what does he do? He, he ran after Elijah. And when he catches up with him, he says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. And then, then I, will, I will come with you. Then I, I will follow you. He didn't have to pray about it. And I know for some of you, I'm like, oh, can a pastor say that? I, I thought we, we're supposed to pray about everything, right? And this seems like a big deal. This is like a, a career change. He's leaving his family. Like if there are things to pray about, this is probably something that, that he should have been praying about. But he doesn't pray about it, right? He doesn't go through a list of pros and cons. He doesn't say, let me, let me go talk to my counselor or, or my small group leader or, or whatever. He, he doesn't do all of those things. All he says is that, God, I, I believe you're in on this. God, I believe this is something that you are calling me to do. And I don't know the details. I don't know what this is gonna look like in, in five minutes or, or in five years. In fact, for the next 10 years, he's just going to serve Elijah as a, as a servant. He had no idea what it was gonna look like. But he said, God, I, I believe that you're in on this and so I'm gonna obey you immediately. You don't have to understand fully to obey God immediately. I don't know how that speaks to you. But, but here's what I believe. If we can get ourselves into a place, if we can get ourselves into a, a position of, of spiritual readiness, that even though God probably isn't going to show you what's gonna happen a year from now, that we're in that place that when God does nudge you, when God does show you someone that he wants you to, to begin a relationship with, when God does show you a place in which you can make an impact, you can make a difference, that we are ready to say yes. That we're ready to obey immediately and take the first step, whatever that step is, as scary as that may be, that's the place that I wanna be in. Because sometimes my week, right, my day feels pretty monotonous. Sometimes I can get into patterns over months where it feels like, I, I don't know that I'm making a difference. I don't know that, I'm, uh, that, that there's any hope from this. It just feels like it's the same thing over and over and over again. But even in the midst of that, I wanna be faithful and I wanna be ready that at any moment, if God comes up and says, Donnie, I want you to do this. I want you to go there. I want you to follow me, that I'm in a place to say, yes, God. I will obey you immediately. I don't need to know the details to obey immediately. And it's hard. It's hard because of the way in which God leads and the way in which God directs us. You see, I, I believe that God is often strategically vague in the directions that he gives us. I want details, right? I think most of us want details. We wanna know the plan. God, I'm willing to commit, but you gotta show me what, what is this gonna cost me? 
How, how much impact is this gonna have? What direction, where am I going to end up? You show me those things. God, I'm all in after that. But because says it, it, it doesn't work that way. You can't handle the details if I show you those things. If I showed you everything that was gonna happen in your life, you, you wouldn't show up. You couldn't handle it. And God, I think honestly would say too, that's not what's important to me. The details of your life aren't what's important. What's important to me is that you trust me, that you just take step after step after step. And so that's how God works. It's usually a step at a time. A lot of times it's a, it's a word at a time. And you think about this, right? The, the power of this. In the Old Testament, there were so many times where God would cause people to go somewhere into a direction or a place he wanted them to with just one simple word, the word go. God shows up to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to go to a land that I will show you. I want you to pack up all of your stuff, pack up your family, leave the place that is comfortable, leave the place that is safe, leave the place where you've been incredibly successful, and I want you to go. And I'm not gonna give you GPS coordinates, and I'm not gonna give you a map, and I'm not gonna tell you what city you're going to. I just want you to go and trust me. And when you get there, I'll tell you when you're there, and I'll tell you when to stop. God shows up to Moses, right? And he says, Moses, I want you to go. Go to Pharaoh and tell him to release my people. And Moses is like, whoa, God, I'm a shepherd. He's Pharaoh. Like, how is that gonna work? And God says, don't worry about that. I'll work out the details later when you get there. And so Moses, finally, he goes and, and God works things out. And, and Pharaoh says, take the people, get, get them out of here. And then Moses begins to lead them, right? And God says, I want you to go, Moses, to the place that I have promised you. And they get to this place and they look across the river and they see these giant people in this fortified cities, right? And, and, and I wonder if they're going, God, we just thought it was gonna be like open land where we would just go and camp out. Like, this is scary. This is a big deal. We're not equipped for this. And God says, I just want you to go. I want you to trust me. In the New Testament, remember the story where there's Peter, the disciples, they're hanging out in a boat, they're in a storm. And next thing you know, they see Jesus walking on water. Right? And, and, and Peter gets kind of freaked out by this. And he's like, there's a dude walking on water. He goes, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to come to you. And, and Jesus looks at him. And what does Jesus say? He says one word. He says, come. When Jesus is walking the shore and he calls Peter and Andrew to be his disciples, to follow him, he looks at them in their boat and he says, come. When he walks by Matthew, the tax collector, right? The one that everybody else was looking down on, the one that, that no one else wanted to be associated with. And Jesus says, I want you to be one of my disciples. I want you to follow me, Matthew. And he looks at him and he says, come. So there's a lot of times where God just works with one step, one word. The, the key to it is, is this. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Verse 21, so Elisha left him and went back. He, he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. And then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. Crazy, right? Here, Elijah puts his cloak on Elisha and, 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 and Elisha does more than just follow him. He makes sure that there's nothing to run back to. There's nothing else in, in my life. There's no backup plan. There's no safety net in this. He took his oxen and he slaughtered them. He took his plowing equipment and he lit a bonfire and he cooks burgers and he serves them to all of his friends. And, and then he goes and follows Elijah. It is crazy. And here's the second principle that we see in this, in this story. Faith always involves burning some plows. Faith always involves burning some plows. You see, when we obey God, there's only plan A. 
God only has plan A. There is no plan B. There's no backup plan. There's no safety net. There's no, but God, what if? There's no rainy day funds. There's none of those things. For Elisha here, he slaughters his oxen. And we have to, to remember and understand that this was, his, this was his sole means of making a living. It, it feels like it would have been smarter for him to sell them, right? On Craigslist or eBay or something. At least I've got, I've got some money in my pocket. Or maybe to say, hey, wh why don't you take them, right? And so now you can plow with four oxen and you can do your fields and then you can do my fields because you'll go twice as fast because you've got four. I don't know if that works, but, that, but that, maybe that works. Maybe he just should have subcontracted them to someone else. I'm gonna lease them out and then I've got a little bit of money coming in every month. It feels like there were better ways to do this, right, for Elisha, that, that it would have been better stewardship, but that wasn't his plan. And instead he, he has a cookout. In fact, in, in that culture, it, it, was, it was ceremonial to have a, a cookout, to, to, to have this bonfire, to celebrate that God has called him into something new. See, Elisha wasn't leaving by himself. He wasn't alone in this. He had a community of people that were celebrating with him, that were encouraging him, that were challenging him as he went forward with this. This is so bizarre, right? And he takes his plowing equipment and, and, and he lights it on fire. There was no value to Elisha for doing that, but symbolically, symbolically, it meant everything to him. Because what he was saying to God is, God, I'm, I'm making a clean break from my old life. There's nothing for me to go back to. There is no plan B. I am all in. I am all yours. I will follow you. And God does ridiculous things through the life of Elisha. We don't have time to, to go through all of the stories. These are ones you wanna read because it, it's just incredible. But he, he experienced, remember, as we said, double the miracles that, that Elijah, his mentor, experienced. He separated the Jordan River. He parted it, right? We hear stories about Moses doing that and Joshua doing that. Well, so did Elisha. He, he parted the Jordan River. In fact, there was a time, there was a spring that he came up on and, and the spring was, was polluted, it was poisonous and people were, were drinking the water and dying. And, and so they came to Elisha and he, he grabbed a little bit of salt and he threw the salt in and God performed a miracle through him and, and, and cleansed the water, clean water now for people to drink. There was a time where he cured a general of leprosy. Does that sound familiar? Fed a crowd of people with just a few loaves of bread. Very Jesus-like, isn't it? He brought a boy back to life there was this weird story. These, these guys, they were cutting down some trees and one had a, a borrowed ax and the ax head actually flew off into a, a river, a stream, and it sank to the bottom. And so Elisha went over to it and, and he caused it to float back to the top so this guy could grab it and so he could return the ax back to the person that he borrowed it from. One of my favorite stories is, uh, uh, is, is where there's a, a group of young boys that, that come up and, and they're making fun of Elisha. Uh, apparently he, uh, he didn't have a lot of hair which is not funny at all. Um, most of us, we're, we're not bald. We just have a really big part. That's just, that's just kind of where we are. And that's, I think, where Elisha was, right? And so these young boys, I'm assuming they're middle school because that just feels right, right? They, they come up to him and they're making fun of him and they're calling him baldy, baldy, baldy. And it says that Elisha just lost his cool and he summoned out two bears from the, the wilderness that came out and they mauled the boys to death. Crazy, it's in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up. You gotta read it. And you should also never make fun of a bald guy because you never know how much faith we have or how close a bear might be. You just, I'm just warning, I'm just warning you. Right, see, God is in the business of taking the ordinary and doing something extraordinary with it. And so what does this look like in our lives? So you don't have to, you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. 
for, for us, God is gonna give you a step. He's going to give you a word. He is going to nudge you in a direction that he wants you to follow him. For some of us today, maybe, maybe the word is, is the word stay. See, for some of us, our, our marriages are a mess. They're, they're in trouble. They're barely hanging on by a thread. And it doesn't matter whose fault it is anymore. For some of you today, God is calling you to stay. To stay committed, to stay in the relationship, to stay focused on the vows that you made, to forgive, to find a counselor, to, to start loving your, your spouse the way that you love them at the beginning. And you don't have to understand all of the details. You don't have to know exactly where the relationship is going to go for you to stay committed to it. For some of you, it might be a health situation. Your health isn't, isn't looking good right now, or maybe it's someone close to you that you love, right? And we know when those situations come up, it, it creates so much confusion and, and so much misunderstanding and so much doubt and so much fear. Maybe today God gives you one word and it's the word trust. Just hang on to that word. I want you just to obey me, even though this doesn't make any sense. And it's not what I even want for you, but I want you just to trust me. Some of you, you have an idea. It's a business idea. Maybe it's a cause that you want to be involved in. Maybe it's a ministry idea, a way in which you can make an impact or a difference in, in, in people's lives. But you have more questions than you have answers, like, like how and when and, and how are we gonna find funding for this and what's the next step for us? And maybe today God just gives you a word and, and the word is start. You don't have to have all the, the details, but just start moving in a direction and trust that I'm gonna guide you in the ways that I want you to go to get you to the place that I want you to be in. For some of us, you've been, uh, we've been hanging around the church for a while and you know that you need a relationship with Jesus, but you just haven't, you just haven't surrendered your life to him yet. For some of us, we've been hanging around the church for a while and, and we've been kind of sitting on the sidelines and watching instead of getting involved in the game. We haven't been baptized or, or we haven't joined a small group where, where others can encourage us to grow or we can grow together, where we're not serving in a, in a place where we can make a difference or an impact in, in someone else's life. And maybe, maybe the word that God gives you today is, is commit, commit. Don't just watch what God is doing, but get involved and, and commit your life to the things that he wants to do in and through you. For some of you, you're, maybe you're praying about, about the future of your family and you hear a word like adopt or a word like foster. And again, so many questions, right? Uh, uh, what age and where from, domestic or, or, or international, boy or girl? Uh, God, so many things I don't understand. And God says, it's okay, it's okay. Don't worry about the details. Just obey me, just, just take a step, just trust me. For some of you, maybe there's a, a great single girl here and you know that you're dating a, a jerk, a, a loser, a, just a, a tool, right? And in fact, you're not the only one that knows it. Everybody around you knows it. And, and maybe today God will give you one word and maybe he, if he gives you that one, that one word, it's to see if you will obey him. And, and I don't know, maybe it's a word like break up with the jerk, right? Maybe it's five words. Maybe, maybe it's more words because God wants you to understand and recognize that you are so special. You don't need to settle for something less. And I know that's scary, the thought of breaking up. Who am I gonna marry? What if, what if no one better comes along? Here's my answer to that. You can't marry a cherry limeade while you're still drinking a slushie. 
I don't know what that means, but maybe to some of you that means something. But here's the point, you don't have to understand everything to know and to obey immediately, right? To take that next step. Here's the second thing, faith always involves burning some plows. Stephen Furtick wrote this, you can't step into your new life until you first set fire to whatever is tethering you to your old life. So before you can go forward into the life that God has for you, you have to offer him every part of the life that you have. You see, your plow is, is, is whatever you're chained to. Whatever it is in your life that is keeping you from moving from ordinary to trusting God to do something extraordinary, whatever is keeping you from being fully committed to him, maybe it's a job, Maybe it's a job that just has you focused on the wrong things or, or maybe it's just a job that's keeping you from stepping out and doing what you know God is calling you to do. Maybe it's a relationship, a relationship that's safe and comfortable. Maybe it's a relationship that's just not God honoring. For some of you, you're holding on to a hurt. You're holding on to a grudge with a spouse or a friend or a coworker and you just, you just can't let it go. Some of us, it's a fear a fear that prevents us from sharing Christ with our neighbors or, or inviting our, our coworkers to church. For some of us, it's, a, it's an addiction that we just can't seem to break. And, and we, we get away from it for a period of time, but then I, eventually I just seem to, to keep coming back to it. For some of us, it's a past mistake or it's a perceived weakness that leads you to believe that God can't possibly use me. We're gonna talk more about that next weekend. But here's the question. Where is God asking you to step out in faith? What is it that God is asking you to light on fire and separate and leave the old life, leave the safety net, leave plan B behind so that you can step in faith and follow God with plan A? You see, God has something incredible planned for your life. And right now, for some of us, it, it seems like I'm just in this place, Donnie, where it's, it's, my life is insignificant. It's just monotonous, right? It's just the same old thing day after day after day. And I, I struggle to believe that God has something incredible planned for me. I don't want you to listen to that lie. For some of us, we just need to remain faithful where we are. Be faithful with the little things. Keep doing those things and trust that God has something big for you. Trust that God wants to use you in some way. Maybe in the context you are, maybe it's taking you out of that. But whenever he does, we don't need to know all the details to obey him immediately. And stepping out in faith sometimes means that we've got to light something else on fire, that we've got to cut off ourselves from some of the things that have been holding us back. Imagine, imagine what that could look like. Imagine one person that was so committed to, to God, the impact that they could have in their family, in their, in their neighborhood. Imagine, imagine this campus. If every single one of us said, God, I'm, I'm all in, right? I, I want to be ridiculously committed to you. Whatever you ask me to do, whatever it is that you, you lead me to go, I will follow you in that. Imagine the impact we could have in our community if we lived that way. Imagine a church of thousands of us across all of our campuses. If we were that obedient to God, the, the, the things that he could do in the triangle and around the world. And just a bunch of ordinary people who are committed to an extraordinary God that wants to use us to be hope wherever it is we are. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you for your incredible love for us. I thank you that you have a plan for each of our lives. And for those of us today, Father, that are, are, feel like we're just stuck in this place where it, it, my life is insignificant, 
God, will you help us to be faithful to you with the little things? God, help us to do the very best with the relationships and the opportunities and the things that you have given to us. God, help us to do the best that we can do in that. And Father, as you see us faithful with little things, then we'll trust that in in your timing and, and within your plan that, God, you will give us more. That, Father, you'll use us in some way. But Father, help those of us that are struggling with that just to be faithful with the little things. And Father, when you do nudge, when you do open up an opportunity, when you do ask us to step out in faith, God, no matter what, even when we don't understand what that's gonna look like, even when we're terrified of what that next step may be, God, will you help us to obey you immediately? Help us to live in a place where we are always ready to say yes to you. And then Father, for those of us that that know that, for those of us that are, are in that place, we already know what it is you're saying to us, but we've been putting it off. We've been avoiding you. We've been making excuses for that. God, will you help us to, to light those things on fire that have been holding us back from stepping in faith, from following you. Thank you for Elisha's example. Help us to live boldly in the same way in our lives, in our relationships, to be hope where we are. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in your name we pray, amen. 